Oh, yes. Episode 103. Thank you guys for joining. We have the one and only very special guest, Timothy Graham Sheaf, on today's episode. Talking about everything from the way of the rope, how he adopted from David Weck, his Rediscovering Human podcast, which has recently put out of several episodes, his journey through parkour into spirituality and faith and how they've related and everything in between. So much love to you guys as listeners. Much love to Tim for joining us and and sharing his insights and wisdom. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here we go. I've been following your journey, obviously, for a while. And um, you obviously had a huge impact in the world of parkour. And, you know, I was just telling in my last episode, I was talking to Nate Weston. And I was just telling him, like, you know, I want to touch base with Tim because despite, you know, you not necessarily being as involved in this community as much, like in my life, you still hold significance. And um, and I've just been interested to follow your journey just because of the impact that you had in, in one domain to me. And I know that not everyone feels this way. I'm just, you know, it doesn't it doesn't um, take anything away that now that you've moved into a different area, a different domain. So, um, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, like parkour has always got a huge part in my heart and it's not that I, I've left the community because I don't care or don't want to do parkour. I've just been on a, a, a quest of honoring my body and the years of parkour because it's such a, a, a sport that there is, it's a discipline, but yet there is no form hmm. training where you have in martial arts. And because of that, it's the look of the draw to some degree for those that are able to age with parkour gracefully mm-hmm. and those that aren't. And it fundamentally, whatever acknowledges, it comes down to the biomechanics of the student or of the athlete. And for me, I, my biomechanics were quite poor, if I'm hmm. honest. Um, probably because of the uh, it's hard to identify from childhood doing lots of handstands without form without acknowledging the body's um, pathways of of natural core strength and just actually using developing muscles rather than this natural ability that gymnasts kind of follow if I'm I'm jumping kind of right into it but essentially (laughs) essentially I I think it built some imbalances in my posture and in and which had leaked over to how I moved in my biomechanics so for a a short period in my 20s I was able to throw handstands to feet to gainers off ledges and land with my feet duck footed and (laughs) and not notice the impact of it at the time Mm. as you age with these things and you try to do the same thing slowly the issues um, grow have a louder and a louder voice and so that set me on the path of, of looking into biomechanics and I've always loved mathematics and I've always loved movement. And it's just the perfect blend of the two because biomechanics for those that don't understand that word. Yeah. I, I think it kind of like the word mobility is, is quite popular. It's great gained in the last few years, a lot of popularity. And I think biomechanics will be the next word that follows like that, where it's essentially the mechanics of the human body, just like a car has certain mechanics with the wheels and the axle and the gearbox and everything. The human body has its own mechanics. And there's a lot of different practices and systems that are coming to acknowledge um, certain common commonalities between how all humans should move with the, the muscular and skeletal system combined and then later on starting to understand the fascia which is a more recent thing but yeah essentially my journey through parkour led me to some niggling injuries and issues that I didn't want to 
just ignore I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of face and try to solve and in solving it I can hopefully help myself to enjoy an older age with more freedom and movement in my body but also help others who may have done the same thing either through parkour or whatever sport they've chosen to do um, unfortunately with, without any understanding of form or biomechanics we just have this position and I wanted to help myself and help others with that so that's kind of my journey since then yeah no that's amazing and definitely with your generation there was even more risk in you know to to having those pretty proper biomechanics i think as we get more educated and we see more movers at the elite level and what takes a person you know gracefully through their decades in the sport you can you can more easily identify right you know what what's working what doesn't and obviously there's it's interesting to observe from the sidelines oh yeah see that stuff in the different athletes yeah yeah and i uh, definitely had um some genetic gifts and you know hindrances as well where i'm lucky to be moving and still participating in some pretty ballistic movements and enjoying um you know parkour to a degree that you know is similar though with your path i've taken a lot of different avenues um, in the last couple years to make sure that i'm still progressing and making myself healthier stronger and uh yeah, I've had to pull back on lots of different types of movement and just become more and more keenly aware of what am I using? How am I using it? The biomechanics, I haven't really, you know, mined that word yet in that whole domain exactly, but um, I've definitely been exploring. Yeah, lots. I mean, that's, that's essentially, you don't, you don't need, it can be different language for the same thing, mm-hmm. but as long as you're yeah, training mindfully and honoring your body and your future self and not just this reckless, you know, <laughs> three to five years you can get out of it that's that's the hardest part because we I came in that generation and I'm I probably have got some um something to atone for in a sense that I I came into the competitive era Mm. and was part of this birth of that competitive era and that fuel that definitely it took from the the pure purity and the essence of what parkour was which was you know these strong male athletes without with not much ego in mm. a, to a degree, you know, the Yamakazi and the David Bell and Sebastian, the way they trained to being caught up in the competitive element of the whole thing where ego is involved and you're doing things for camera or for competition. And that completely changed the essence of what it was. And it changed the enjoyment of what it was. And it made the risk far greater as well for, for many people. And it's, it's nice to see, someone like yourself on instagram and the others coming through like shane parkour is pretty cool to witness who even though mm. he's doing it for camera there's still a purity to the movement mm. um Stora, you know always kept less competitive and a more explorative angle and i think that's what gave they just had there's a, um, a spirit with which that's recognizable and that that transcends just parkour itself which is why yamikaze transcended and why i think Stora transcending now mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Oh, man. Can I ask you a question real quick? Because it brought up something a long time ago. When I was first getting into my like first year of parkour, I actually tore my meniscus. Actually, I tore my meniscus in my knee- right knee when I was like 14 snowboarding. Like terrible mm-hmm. biomechanics. I had my board set up to be all steezy or whatever. And uh, <laughs> anyways, That would do, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and then I tore it every year since then until finally I had one of these wow. bucket handle tears that, and I didn't even know what was going on. I would just straighten my leg out and I would kind of hear a little pop and I'd be like, Oh, I feel like I can move again, but I just knew it wasn't good. 
but ignorant ignorance was mm-hmm. bliss at that point and so eventually it tore in a way that i i couldn't ignore it and um i couldn't just put my knee straight anymore either so long story short i had that meniscus removed but one of the things that kept me you know involved and and motivated was i heard and i have no idea if this is true so i'm excited to find out is that you had your menisci removed in your knees and i was like oh if tim can do it i can do it <laughs> he's still going and i want to go too because uh sorry that's my phone okay no worries yeah um so it's true i had i tore the meniscus in both of my knees and had surgeries on uh both of them um and actually funnily enough my my knees are Oh, one of the the best parts of my body right now, even though I've had three knee surgeries throughout the years, Mm. I feel like my journey of biomechanics is because often like we talked about with the teeth where you talk about the root canal is, is working on the symptom. Mm -hmm. My knees were like the, the, the end of the chain of the issue. And often the knee issue is a hip or ankle issue because it's just floating in between the hip and the ankle, which are more mobile joints, whereas the knees just kind of a, a linear moving joint. And, my knees feel pretty good at the moment, but it's my, my ankles have been the main issue. And I think the ankles, because I'm quite flat footed without an arch, mm. trying to develop an arch. There's not, I mean, the systems that talk like foot collective talk about feet and stuff and other, other systems that just don't really seem to have a, the right approach to the feet is not um, that in my experience has worked, but I'm, I'm working on some stuff now that I find quite fascinating, but yeah, essentially, I had knee issues. My knees feel pretty good at the moment. It's 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 the next chain of command yeah. that I'm trying to work through before, you know. No, yeah, no, that's where I've landed as well. Is my knees okay when I focus on my hip and my ankle and and the <clears throat> the knee that still gives me trouble every so often it's because I still have work to do, you know, in those two areas. And Definitely. I don't know what happens yeah. with soft tissues and things. I mean, they told me of course that like, oh, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, but you know, the with more meniscus, could, yeah, yeah they, they say, yeah, when you, you know, 40, you might have problems and stuff like that. But yeah, I, 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 I literally <clears throat> when it, with the knees, cause I, I want to share this just get, to give other people hope. Mm-hmm. Cause I was really, I've several times been really depressed about anyone that's had any issues. It's like yeah. <laughs> you know, last for, for months or years. It's so depressing, especially if you love movement, like we do changing my diet was a massive one for my knees and actually just removing so much of the processed junk, you know, the sugary drinks. Um, I have to, I have to remove bread from my diet basically. Mm-hmm. Like not everyone might have to do that, but for me, I have to take gluten out of my diet, eating whole foods, dropping all the, the sugary snacks and, and the, the rapes, the, the rapeseed oil or you call it uh, canola oil. I think you call it. Oh right? yeah. All the, the nasty vegetable oils. Changing my diet made, if I eat badly, my knees flare up quickly. But if I eat good, I don't even notice them. So there's one thing where people never change their diet and they go through all these surgeries and it just may not be that necessary. And and so that's just, if anyone's got that issue, just please look at diet. Yeah, I second that. I champion that as well, for sure, because that's one of the biggest things that's been the gift of working at this new facility is really understanding what inflammation is and why it is. And yeah, like you're talking about the, the inflammation is what gives people pain and problems with their joints so much worse in so many ways sometimes than, than they ever realize. Sorry, can you hear me? Um, yeah, we're back. So I don't know if my internet, my, it's my internet, all good, so. but yeah, um, I've noticed yeah, no, I, I, yeah. Inflammation is, um, it's so huge and it's just so much of it starts with the digestion, right? 
mm. with stressing the digestion system out and, if, and the gut microbiome and if we can start to fix that a lot of the rest of the body can start to flourish as well yeah yeah there's no you know i like that store has their new line is no stone unturned you know in their clothing line that they just dropped because that's really how you have to yeah. look at the body you know and that's all connected and so a gut issue is actually gonna potentially contribute to your knees hurting you know and you wouldn't I think like about that quote that's good yeah. no stone unturned i definitely <laughs> apply that to life yeah. even the ones where you're being taught growing up don't look <laughs> under that there's no we've already looked under that mm -hmm. like revisit those ones as well you know well, good. I'm glad I didn't have false inspiration. Actually, it wouldn't have mattered either way, right? But <laughs> worked, it worked. Placebo is a real yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And I think that my soft tissues can potentially and maybe even already have regrown to a degree mm. because I of, believe that, yeah. Like, you know, I just built, I have a lot, especially because I've every step of my health journey has been sort of a, a you know, an authority, authoritative voice telling me something that later I found out. I could will myself through or I found different information. And so you have to be really careful what, you know, idea you adopt because it can really trap you. And I've been fortunate enough to break through enough of those that now I have a really healthy um, trust in like what I can at least experiment with. And I don't have to, to take on some of them. You know, I think that's a very, it's such a true statement that I've definitely lived with as well. It's just not to accept this, like, woe is you for the rest of your life now because the problem <laughs> doesn't like, we're, we are meant to be able to solve our issues. And if we are paying attention to life and to our own addictions and habits and, um, you know, emotional issues, we can absolutely work our way through these and, and we can become better, more grounded humans for it. Yeah, I really agree. So that would lead me, I guess, you know, I wanted to touch on the rope and Weck, David Weck and your relationship with him, because, you know, we, I've obviously we saw your rope. Um, the way of the rope came out and that was like one of the, you know, I don't know how that necessarily came to be, um, but I followed, you know, your, your journey through that a little bit. And now it's like a really, you know, it's a prominent part of your life, it seems. And yeah. can you, and, I, and I've actually, and I think I sent you a message a while ago. I've been, I've been using the rope for like, for, I don't know how long, like at least a year and a half, two years, maybe, you know, I really got into it when you first dropped because again, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't just discount somebody because they're not necessarily doing the thing I'm doing. So, but, and it's really been helpful, you know, and one of the things I really enjoyed about it was, and the concept was very true to me in the, in that era. And it still is, is balancing your, your left and right hemispheres, balancing your left and right sides of your body, just like getting unification across all polarities and mm. integrating things. And I felt like it just, it was intuitively made sense that you'd want um, something that, that has that kind of innately built in. So please, yeah. if you could just kind of describe like how that came to be and maybe where you're at with the rope these days and yeah. and how you kind That's... of adopted it from David Weck because it seems like it was something that you guys collaborated on at first, at least. Yeah, no, that's that's great that you were um, recognized something and gave it a go. And I think anyone that with the rope that picked it up for, you know, two or three sessions certainly feels the something profound that they didn't even understand going into it it like like it, it blew their expectations a little bit that's how i found it anyway um so getting into biomechanics led me almost firstly to functional patterns and i dived into that quite deeply and did one of their courses in person and um quickly got <laughs> got banned from that practice and so i was, I was looking 
looking out what else else is there that's talking about the human gait cycle and locomotion as sort of the blueprint to, to run everything through um, with biomechanics. And so the only other one that came to me was Weck Method. And I'd saw David Weck on Instagram and he was wearing like two or three pairs of glasses, but he was talking with such conviction um, and some level and some confidence, but not arrogance that I really liked. And, and he's such an odd, came across as such an oddball, but mm-hmm. I've always had an ability to, or an affinity to people like that who are, who are on the surface, most people would just think they're crazy. And actually that's like no stone unturned. Mm. Those are the stones that you, you yeah. want to look under, right? <laughs> the ones that are thinking differently. Cause the, if you follow the, the rest of the path, the rest of the pack of society, it's almost lemmings off a cliff at the moment. Mm. Um, and so saw his stuff online and I really like the pulses, you know, that the, they're like two packs of Mentos or something. And <laughs> when you run, you pulse them down. And I was like, Oh, that kind of, I, I could see what he was talking about. Mm. So I thought he's got a different theory on running what have I got to lose? So I, I've literally flew to San Diego to do a wet method qualification course with them, a three day course. And then I, as part of that, the three main thing, principles they have is the coiling core, which is this concept that when we move and run, there's a certain, not only a rotation, but like a tilt that goes with that, which mm-hmm. makes us coil on one side. And that's what fuels the sprinting effect. And that's why Usain Bolt, when he runs and has the world record has this, a gyroscopic tilt in his shoulders whereas the american athletes have this completely level shoulders mm. and they swing their arms and they can't keep up with him so that the theory and the the proof kind of seems sound and um so there are three principles of the coiling core the pulsing and then the rope and i didn't I, again I, when i first saw the rope online i just over overlooked it i didn't quite get what it was about but within five minutes of them teaching it to me like I had one of the biggest aha moments of my life (laughs) because when we move with a natural cycle, our our rib cage would do this figure of eight pattern with Mm. the gyroscopic tilt, like Usain Bolt runs with this on this infinity path. Mm. Um, If we're moving the way we're optimally designed, if you see a tiger moving its shoulders rock and roll, you know, that kind of way that we're designed to move as well. And holding the handles of a rope handle in each hand and swinging it in this underhand motion teaches your spine that motion and you're able to get hundreds if not thousands of repetitions in in a very short space of time so it becomes second nature to move that way you know it strengthens a lot of the core muscles that stabilize the spine to do this pattern as well um and that's just one aspect of it there's so many aspects like you mentioned the left and the right side of our body i believe we're meant to be at least a lot closed ambidextrous than we allow ourselves to be we're taught from a very young age you're right-handed and therefore we only use that hand for everything and that mm-hmm. other hand just atrophies in its ability and potential to to serve us and one of the huge lessons in the last few years for me is that the more we strengthen and work on our non-dominant side that our dominant side improves as well mm-hmm. and it's incredible to w- when they witness that you can do it through learning to write left-handed or learning just practicing skills with your left hand the right hand just improves as a byproduct, it's, it's, a, it's incredible. And that's what I witnessed with a lot of MMA fighters, those that can switch stance and they don't know which stance, like Max Holloway, who's both stances, you don't know which one's his main stance. Through the, Somewhere through the practice of being able to train on the other side has made his original side better and they've both kind of morphed. And so anyway, because the rope 
you're holding a handle in each hand and you've got this rope connecting the two points you've got a complete circuit you've got the from hand through the arm through the chest to the other hand mm. which we all move with but my right hand and my left hand can move out not in unison they can move separately from each other and it doesn't matter so when i'm running i might have you know millisecond timing out but disproportionate swing on my right and left side whereas once you hold the rope handle in each hand and you swing the rope you're completing that circuit with the rope hmm. your left and your right hand are now talking to each other and they can't act out of unison without causing um, knocking the other hand out of unison so you learn to sequence the movement of your left and the right side of your body in in perfect harmony because if you're in not in harmony and discord you the rope ends up hitting yourself you smack yourself in your leg or whatever mm -hmm. and so quickly without even having to think too much if you just practice the patterns with the rope the body learns it attenuates perfection by itself without thought it just becomes more efficient and it moves with greater ease and it spreads the movement patterns more evenly out throughout each joint as you go and so that is one of the, the, the greatest things that I discovered with the rope was just that left and the right hand are talking to each other down the rope, not just through the body. Mm. That additional bit of feedback is wonderful. And, and the real beauty of what WEC does is everyone is looking for greater technology to lead us to this <laughs> next, you know, human locomotive, you know, Nike with all their carbon fiber shoes that everyone's going into now. Oh, yeah. I'm sure no, no doubt there's all steroids uh, businesses that are trying their best to create a better steroid and stuff. And th th there's that whole path and push in that direction and the metaverse and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're over and do not overlook the, the potential for simple, creative, playful tools to be the true things that come through that help us to transcend to better movement. And that's where WEC works in this playful realm that most people would overlook and it's it's so cool to witness and to be a part of you know absolutely yeah well yeah that's i mean i've definitely felt like it just polishes those corners into like exactly. curves you know in my movement and um yeah it's a great uh great tool and i still it's quite, sorry well i saw you on it like you said a year or so more than a year mm -hmm. ago and I've re recently I've been tagged by a few more parkour gyms and things like that mm. and sending me messages of appreciation for the rope. And it's just so cool to see some of the parkour community start to adopt it as a practice. Because I always remember things like um, Ken Dharma was quite mm -hmm. a popular tool. Yeah. Um, and that's great because that's proprioception, you know, and practice that with your left hand as well. But I, I, I yeah, it'd be cool to witness. And I, I, I don't really doubt that it will happen when I think about it, but I think the rope could definitely parkour a certain type of parkour athlete will definitely take to the rope and it, it could grow in that community. Yeah. And every community I think could benefit for sure. Like I use it <laughs> when I go to um, the bike park, I've been riding dirt jumper bikes lately as another Sick. just activity to, to keep me sharp and keep me engaged and to challenge you know, challenged my, you know, my, my fear. My, you know, that's something that I can still be scared of is going off a jump <laughs> in the physical realm. There's lots of other more kind of important fears and priorities that I address. But um, in my play time, that's one of the things I like to do. But I always like to warm up with the rope before I get on the bike because, again, it kind of gets my body more unified and working together. And that'll help me, um, you know, not pull unevenly off the t lip of a jump and then potentially fall. Mm. So 
Yeah. And people are, it's, yeah, it's great. I love, I mean, I actually don't, you know, want the attention, but I love just like turning heads sometimes with it too, because people are like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> when I'm I not... mean, in five, 10 years, yeah, oh, all, yeah, all athletes, that's cool. I've never heard someone say using it for dirt bike jumping, but it makes sense. And I, you know, I think all, you know, soccer players will warm up on the pitch and tennis, tennis players, like it's what it's a great warm-up tool before you go for a run you know get the mm -hmm. spinal engine it's so involved. yeah it's just so easy it's so easy to pick it up i mean and get a warm-up that's thorough yeah it activates it's en it's across... energy it builds your energy doesn't it yeah. it doesn't take from you and it's non-impact so it's, yeah yeah and i can so you... throw in some skips and some doubles and whatever if i want to make it more aggressive but um it's totally unnecessary yeah so much appreciate that um no worries all right um so next, I mean, obviously you've actually put out a few episodes recently. And so you've kind of have a new channel or a new, you know, series called rediscovering human podcast. Yeah. And I wanted to, to just see if you wanted to share something on that and like, what's what that project is about and, um, yeah. And where you're going with it. Cool. Uh, thanks man. Yeah. So it was funny cause I, I literally thought of the phrase, because that's kind of feels like the journey I'm on. I called myself human Timothy on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it was just about people call themselves, I don't know, you know, certain names, they words, but they put before their names mm -hmm. to sound, um, you know, braggadocious or something like that. And I, I just thought, or, or, or even the fact that names change over time, like I was live wire and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And Forgot I thought the one thing that's that's constant is that I'm a human <laughs> like that's not going to change you know um at least in this in this life well yeah. I don't see yeah so the constant is that I'm a human so I call myself human Timothy and then through that kind of birth this you kind of put a spell on yourself in a way because then you kind of create a realm that you end up working within that you're not not aware of in the in the foresight mm. with foresight and and so I'm kind of like felt like a human on this journey and you know parkour is a huge part of that life's like diet is a huge part of the human journey mm -hmm. um just just kind of witnessing and recognizing that most of there's there's a real attitude of kind of arrogance of the modern times that we're more advanced than we've ever been in the past and yet for me advancement would mean that we're happier and healthier that's the logical mm -hmm. advancement that we're all after and yet it feels like we're actually further from that and we're kind of blinded by our own facade of well we've you know we've been to the moon and we've got mm. access to you know all this food and technology and everything like that so therefore we're, we're more advanced right so they will just keep going down this path and then for me it's just like we're kind of losing what it's like what it's meant to be human like what are we meant to be here for as a human like can we rediscover the roots like can we mm -hmm. rediscover some semblance of i just believe there's just we are operating at such a lower level than our potential and I want to try and find how we can like biohacking. I don't really like the word biohacking mm. says he says in his orange <laughs> glasses, right? <laughs> <laughs> Looking like the, a biohacker, but the, the goal essentially is to tap into our true human potential mm. and, and, and thrive and, and learn all the lessons that come with that of, of togetherness and, and compassion and love and whatever cliche it may seem, but, essentially that is that is part of that human journey so the rediscover human podcast was essentially a platform i created with my friend josh at the, before because randomly his girlfriend was going through my instagram and they'd come up with the phrase rediscover human for their um keto 
bar line. Oh, cool. And I just, I'd, it was a caption on one of my pictures. And so we'd both come up with the same phrase around the same time, which was quite funny. So we did a podcast together and we've both moved to different parts now, mm. but he's allowed me to carry on uh, the name with the podcast. And so it's kind of become a solo podcast now, which is certainly started as a, a bit of a challenge. And I feel feeling more and more confident that they go, but I have to do a lot more prep work for each episode. But I am sharing what I feel are my, the most important discoveries for my life that I believe can help other humans in um, the, the journey of being a human. Like, mm -hmm. and, and in the times when there's a lot of misinformation, despite my stuff would probably be flagged by them as misinformation. <laughs> I would love to flag them as misinformation. <laughs> anyway, that journey has led me to... Um, one of the greatest discoveries lately, if I can share, is just learning about the afterlife, which is something that I think most people would feel, how can you know, or it's just mythology or, you know, who really knows that stuff. And that, that certainly would be the case if you only take your information from the, the main narrative. But if you research, you start to recognize enough different sources, completely no relation from different time periods from hundreds of years mm -hmm. apart um from different completely different sources from different parts of the world all seems to be coming up with very similar stories of the afterlife and the spirit world and how it works and how that functions and so part of my journey is is to understand the spirit world and the after essentially we have a human body the physical body which we're all in here now mm -hmm. the spirit body which is when we sleep or astral people astral project and out of body experiences in the spirit body and then the soul when we die we just lose our physical body and we move into us just functioning a spirit body and there's a whole world where we can operate within the spirit body and some people when you sleep there's kind of two states you've got the dream state which is all made up in your head but to draw emotions that you need to access so when you wake up and you've got a feeling you can't quite remember the story but you have an emotion think to the dream that's what you're meant to do is to get to that emotion to help you grow because it's through the emotions that we do the healing but there's also the sleep state which most of us don't really remember as much but sometimes when our dreams felt like they were really real that was when we were in the sleep state in our spirit body and it is a real astral world out there um and so looking at reading all these books mostly reading books but watching some videos as well but it's really in the books which is where, where the it, it goes deep and watch list reading it. There's a lot of channeled stuff. Channeled is where like a medium mm -hmm. connects with the spirit and is able to, if they, the, yeah, they're able to basically channel what the spirit's trying to share. And so there's books which are channeled from spirits from the spirit world, completely different time periods, like I say, different authors. And yet they all have kind of similar stories. And there's also one book, which I'm about to start reading, which is called um, Divine Comedy, which is by Dante's Inferno. It's oh, probably yeah. what people heard of from the 13th 14th century florence and that what i'm just researching into before i even started reading it looks exactly like just another story that everything else is that's linked this this concept of the spirit world hmm. now the work that we do on earth how we live as a human on earth determines where we end up and what's what stage we end up this isn't to say it's not some christian belief where if you believe in god and then you you baptize and you die, you go to heaven. And if you're not, you go to hell. It's not, it's not like that. That would be completely an unloving way for the universe to function. These are, there's real mechanics. There's, you know, biomechanics is a passion of mine, but this is spirit and soul mechanics, which is very scientific. But 
but it takes a different way of thinking to to start to conceive it and and it becomes very logical but when you die you go to the to the spirit world and how you've lived determines where you go and then where you go you can still always work your way up from anywhere you are and so just coming to that understanding has given me so much more peace with this life and because of the times that we're in right now and a lot of our, our freedoms are, are becoming worryingly more and more limited um in things like travel like i might never leave england again in the rest of my life mm-hmm. you know that's that's a real thing i'm coming to accept but starting to recognize well and and that that has definitely triggered me to feel angry and project my anger at certain politicians and and police force and things like that for, for enforcing this stuff coming to these understandings that i'm now coming to has given me a lot more peace and recognize that from anywhere i can either improve my quality of life and my spirit and my soul or i can make it worse just because i recognize something that i disagree with if i then project anger at it and become self-righteous then i'm my own soul down with that act of trying to you know be nasty about it whereas if i can just not be so attached to the material and the physical and recognize the game behind the game here mm-hmm. the spirit game the soul game behind the physical game and let let go of that grip a bit more i can work and i can i could be in prison and i could still be improving my quality of my soul condition you know or or i could be there angry and and, and bringing it down so that's one of the main concepts that i've dived into lately that has brought me so much peace. And I know to someone, if they're just hearing this for the first time, this kind of subject, there's definitely a a, a, a first thought in the mind is would be to label it as crazy or just wishy-washy or, or wanting to believe this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's how most people went to this theme. But having delved into it for many years, and it's, and this isn't to, to verify me, you have to do your own verification. And I encourage everyone to do their own research. I'm, I'm, I'm finding much peace with it and it's helped me. And, and so that's what I think the times are calling for right now is us to recognize spirituality in a sense, you know, mm. and, and this is a, a big part of that chapter. Yeah, I think, um, I don't wow, know if that was what you were expecting in the response. No, no, or no I mean, Hey, I don't go in with the expectations, but I love what you said. And I think, you know, I'm not as, um, for, far along maybe in this, in this particular um, journey through understanding spirituality because you know i i can have sort of like um just unknowns when it comes to this stuff and i don't even know necessarily which questions to ask but i will well that's the best say, place to start is just yeah. if, it's, if you're not if you're not interested <laughs> you're not if you are start with unknowns yeah, yeah like that, that's it yeah and what i can say is like I, it's exciting to me because ultimately i do find that 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 especially what you just last said was just like a key that i'm also um recognizing more and more um as a truth in that we've come up against and in the same way we come up against our you know our ego in parkour training and it kind of like just does not it's there's no sustainability there you can just destroy yourself by like trying to outdo and one-up everyone in yourself there's sort of if you actually want to continue you know learning and and discovering things you have to take a different path and it actually becomes a dissolving of like everything you once knew 
And in the same way, I say that, or I see, I've seen in my journey in the last couple of years, the exact same thing where I've just come up against all these sort of um, reasonings and paradigms that I've realized just had never questioned. And similarly, and I think there's like a, this is, and again, I can't talk about it so eloquently yet because I'm just, I am just barely mining the pieces. You know, I've got a little gold nugget here, gold nugget there. Um, but I'm, I like the I, word I, mining, by the way. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't quite got enough to refine into a nice, you know, uh, what are they called? The blocks of gold. What are they called? Anyways. Bullion. Bullion. Well, anyhow, I haven't got quite so much that I can refine into a really nice explanation and, and with enough wisdom to actually not just feel, but communicate back at, you know, the world. But I'm going there. And I feel like uh, that is so true that we as a society, you know, we have all these meaning crises popping up that people are talking about. And as I've experienced it myself, it's it's been um, a recognition of the constraints and the prison of certain ideas, which, you know, might be like rationality and science and reasoning and logic even even though like those things are not in themselves, I'm not trying to demonize them. I'm just saying like, depending on what you think of them as and depending how you define them for yourself, you- It's how you're trained to use them. Exactly. I'll put it that way. Like with science, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm one of the most scientific people I've met. Now to yeah. a lot of people, they might deem me as unscientific in some aspects yeah, yeah. because of the way the mainstream chooses to do science. Yeah. That's, that's what, how is that serving us is not, if my eyes hasn't served us that well so <laughs> operating from a different platform but like you say how you so, sorry to cut in but no, yeah how you say rationale and logic and science the way we're taught in school is not is not in my eyes the the greatest way we could use them and that's one thing this is why WEC has been such a amazing thing to witness to me mm. is because it, it really is the things that cop operating on the fringe are the mm -hmm. things that always make the change for humanity in the long run. Like it never comes out of, of the core of the, of, of where we're at until we're all operating from a more loving position. And that's where working on the fringe with an open mind, mm -hmm. no fear of judgment from other people is where the gold is mine is where the gold yeah. is found. in my eyes. That's oh. right. Yeah could agree yeah. more and you know just to keep tying it back into parkour because obviously that's something we both love and share that mm -hmm. is where parkour was birthed and born you know it was on the fringe and and it is so aligned interestingly enough with this rediscovering human concept as well because without any tools or anything to like other than the own the own environment you know these these group of um yamikaze just they went with their own body and they started to dive deeper into themselves. And there's a huge theme across, you know, all types of, you know, just throughout history, it's always about looking within, you know, was where you actually find salvation to use like a um, sort of religious term, I guess there, but yeah. you know, these things that can't be found externally. And yeah, I don't know. Actually, this is be a, this would be a good time. There's another thing I wanted to touch on if, uh, unless you have well, something on you that, wanted to add. Yeah. Just, just on that, just, mm there's just something about parkour and you may, I wonder if you feel similar. I always wondered how it took so long to be created. <laughs> like when I think <laughs> yeah. about it, I'm like, it should have been the first sport we created yeah. or discipline, whatever you want to call it. And so lately I've been, I listened to a really good talk from a guy called Alfie Cohn and it's called the case against competition. 
And it just talks about how competition literally, even though people talk about, you know, friendly competition or you need a bit of competition to fuel, to, to be, to, for growth and stuff like that, how actually all the, all the scientific research shows that competition just absolutely kills the human's natural desire to become, you know, to, to work and grow and, and develop at something. Um, and so I'm really in my heart starting to see now how competition has, you know, even my role in it within parkour and in any, in any aspect of humanity right now is, is by its own nature aggressive and you cannot do competition and, and, it, and not in some way, you know, if you win, you never really feel any better. If you lose, you, mm -hmm. ever, you know, you feel like a loser or whatever it is. And you can you can dis disassociate from that and say, yeah, well, I'm just doing it for fun or whatever. And sure, to some degree, but it's helped me to recognize that even more so the beauty of parkour, because mm -hmm. if I was to remove um, competition, if we were to remove competition from the world, what would we be left with with human movement, sport, what, or not even but human expression? And you're left with art art it's either sport or art and mm -hmm. art is creative uh expression of what sport is very aggressive and one us versus the other or you know trying to one-upmanship whereas we i think parkour is something that would be left you know be left with maybe breakdancing mm -hmm. though they have competitions ballet something like that but and and dance all this dance is is a real beautiful expression of human movement and parkour like it doesn't have to be competitive it's just it's just such an epic um practice and so just sorry just while you're on that thought i just brought me back to the yamakati and david and the original intention of what parkour is about and it'd be great to you know to further fuel that aspect of it and promote that aspect of it 100 percent. yeah i think um actually i saw that you posted that and i just saw i saw it was an hour long thing so i just looked up a shorter video so I, I i would like to dive more deeply into his talk and and see what more he has to say on that but i did check that out because and i found it was very interesting because um well one thing i wanted to ask you about that is you know you and i are both fans of mma we both watch i'm like how do we reconcile this you know in our in our own um consciousness and, and psyche so i, I I'm just starting to accept that the part of me that loves MMA is not a healthy part of my own being, mm -hmm. you know, that the part of me that watches people fight and enjoys it. The thing is, I don't, I don't even enjoy the fighting as much as I enjoy the storylines in like a WWE kind of way. Like mm -hmm. the last few cards I've been able to not, other than I couldn't help but watch Justin Oliveira and the Nunez yeah. Pena, which was, you know, epic, exciting. The last few before that, I've been able, I've not watched, and part of my spirit is just is pulling me to just let go of it. Mm. But the part of me that enjoys it is probably an angry, aggressive part of me that has some childhood trauma from. If I if I truly am honest, and I don't mind being sharing my my a bit of my story, mm. my my dad only really knew like psycho, psychoanalyzing myself. Mm. I only really knew how to show me love when I was successful either in sport or in uh, an intellectual pursuit, like, you know, maths exam or something mm -hmm. like that, he would be openly loving and be like, so, you know, that kind of feeling I'd get from him, that warm, loving feeling was when I was successful in sport or intellectual pursuit. So therefore I learned as a child to associate athletic success with my father's love. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And so now is the journey of recognizing that and starting to work through that process. And hopefully that will help me to let go of my, I'd call it addiction to, to the UFC, which is fed every week right now. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I I'm with you. Like, and one of the things, what was the guy's name? Cohen? Um, Alfie Cohen. Alfie yeah. Cohen. I think when the piece that I saw, I, I think he made a distinction between competition in the, in the purest sense is that we strive together basically. So if you win and I don't win, we don't win. So to, yeah. in order to win, we have to win together. That's like three different. Um, and then there was one that's like, if you win, it doesn't matter as long as I win, I, I still win. That's a different, yeah. like it's more neutral. And then there's like a more combative, you have to lose and I have to win like version of it. Where yeah, it's like, I, I can't was win like, unless got, you lose. There was like tennis or UFC, which is yeah. where I try to make you lose. That yeah. makes me win. Then there's like golf where yeah. you just do your best. Yeah, but exactly. whoever does the best in their own, they're not. They can't affect each other result. And then there was the other one, which was. Then there's kind the, of the wave. Yeah, there's the wave at the stadium, which is like. <laughs> I don't even know. Sorry, what were you saying? Maximum wave. Were you saying? Um, no. Then then there's just cooperation and collaboration, and that's what children in school we we teach them to compete when. Oh, sorry, we lost you for a split second. One sec. Can't hear you. Can't hear you yet. Hold on. Come on. All right. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me? So, yeah. We just lost you um, as you were going into what it meant to be cooperation right. instead of. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. But I'm back. You're back. back You're back. You can hear me? Yeah, yep. cool. So on, there was one, there's a shorter video which you could watch where Alfie Cohen is on Oprah. Okay. And she seemed way more up for this out of the box thinking where I think it's completely changed. It's amazing mm. to witness it back in the 80s or 90s. But they paid some children to do $5 to complete a puzzle. And it's the ones they paid had really little interest and none of them finished the puzzle. Mm. The ones that they didn't pay the money to all tried to finish the puzzle because as soon as you gave the money incentive, they assumed it was something I wouldn't want to do for free and <laughs> lost interest. And children are just that bit more free where they weren't as bothered. So it's like as soon as you give an incentive of, of money or competition, it it taints the, in, the intention and the reason why you're doing something in the first place. And I just think that it's such a, it was such a, it helped me intellectualize and start to understand it you know a, a bit clearer and go yeah you know what i do recognize that part of me that is that enjoys that is maybe an aggressive and, and not a loving part of me that i'd happily work to let go of yeah i i um i think that there's definitely a component there and to make the steel man out of out of the argument because i saw myself doing this because i'm I don't want to give up MMA entirely, potentially, you know, I know that <laughs> but here's the, here's the steel man argument for you. Just, just, to, mm. uh, is one thing. And I know this is also at least true to a degree, you know, and maybe it's not enough to whatever get me to, to stay involved and attached to UFC. If, if, um, if I get to a certain level of development where I'm like, I just got to let it go. But the the cooperation and the the ability it can because like you i like the storylines and i just like the human spirit on display and i like yeah. that the there's it's probably the hardest thing that you can that i can think to do 
in many ways is to fight in the UFC and, you know, have to do all these things. And there's just so many factors and it's, um, it's such a complicated and such a visceral and raw experience to, to be on display and put everything on the line that way that there is this component of, and I don't know how many fighters, if any adopt this, but they're just like, in a way they're showing us what's possible just with, with just raw, you know, human potential. And, um, and for me, that's one thing that still, you know, I would, that would be the last bit maybe to die for me on the, of just like yeah. the amount of inspiration you can get by knowing what, what someone can even go through and, and come out the other side stronger. It, it's very inspiring. And obviously people like Rose Nami Yunez, um, mm-hmm. who are, who have a really pure spirit um, towards it. Uh, and even someone like Dustin, like I was mm-hmm. happy to watch because I feel like his intention is very pure compared to, you know, someone like Connor, who I feel like his, the condition of his soul is, is slowly darkening at the yeah. quite quickly darkening right now. Yeah. As, as it is it's been hard to be a Connor fan the last couple of years. It, it's been, <laughs> it has been hard. But when, when I tune into like these humans at a more human level, mm. what is it in their past that makes them feel that this is something that they want to do, that they wanted mm. to do? And it, it's, it will be some childhood trauma that led them to want to prove themselves or the or the the symbology of the other person being their dad that they're angry like remember mm-hmm. paul check talking about like i don't know if it was nine out of ten 19 out of 20 something like that boxers all had aggression towards their father mm-hmm. or you know and that that's what's fueled them to get to where they are it, it's it looks more and more like gladiators the more i watch it and the, the more it's pumped every week and the more yeah in the mainstream it Hicks and Gracie choke, pure, you know, breath work in the waterfall, that side of it, which is very parkour-esque in in the spirit. But like, but that's it. It's like when they're actually two humans who are just being paid to beat each other up for the entertainment of people. If you zoom out of it, because once you zoom into it, it's hard to zoom out again. But when, Mm. when, when I first watched it, or when you show someone else who's never seen it before, they're always like, oh, that's brutal. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's beautiful. Can't you see like <laughs> the, the art going on? But but really, we've become desensitized to it. And, but yeah, maybe we've True. talked that long enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we can leave that aside. But I agree with you. Yeah, and it's evident with um, some of the stories that come out surrounding that culture that there is an undercurrent of violence and aggression that is just inherent in the fabric of that. And um and yeah, so what I wanted to touch on then, and I think this ties in pretty well is, you know, also this is another thing that I know that you're at least aware of because I heard you speak about it once or just like reference it. And um, I think it's kind of relevant to the conversation we're having is this constant, you know, I, I, I stumbled across Spiral Dynamics um, a couple of years ago or a year and a half or something like that ago. You know, familiar what I'm talking about? Spiral Dynamics? Yeah, man. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, you know, if, there's maybe not as many people that are well-versed in, in the language around that, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that model, um, how you came across yeah. it, and then like where you think it's accurate, where you think it's maybe missing things, and just like what, you know, yeah. I'm just curious on your take on that whole model because it's, it's been that's fascinating. A, that's a great question. Opinion. Yeah, I, I, I did find it such a fascinating subject when I dived into it. Um, essentially, there's it's a theory that everyone is on a path of, conscious evolution to Mm -hmm. put it more 
less triggering way, but essentially <laughs> spiritual evolution mm-hmm. is the way I'd, I'd term it. And you only really grow up, you don't really grow down, um, mm-hmm. which is one thing which I, I was touching at the end that I come to disagree with actually, but that you go from left to right to left to right on in this upwards pattern. And we started at kind of this tribal level and they call it purple. And then at some point we moved to red, mm-hmm. which is on, e- on each side, you've got the left and the right side. Say, let's say the left side is the red side to begin with it's very um me focused and yeah, as we move across individualistic then we move across we move to more glo- uh, mass focus so the red side would be the way i would see like the trump the trump kind of attitude the the is it conservative i don't know what you call it democrat the conservative um, conservative conservative yeah right and and well very... actually conservative might not be the thing that you're looking for but yeah anyway sorry it's just well it's just yeah. essentially it's red and it's yeah. me focused and it's narcissistic um, even maybe nos- like- a bit more narcissistic tendencies and then you as you spiritually grow you swing to the other side which is more group focused mm-hmm. and us but it's it's blue and essentially the blue which is the the other party <laughs> and it's more us but it's very rule based and we need yeah. rules and everyone needs to stick to the rules and we all need if you want you know and that's essentially where it seems that both uh, countries are right now in this very rural blue focused mm-hmm. mindset. And then the, the, then it swings back to left, which is uh, orange again. So the colors change as we move up, but they're in the same tinge, right? So it's the yeah. reddish move to orange. The hot and colors again, are like the individual and me, individualistic and then focus. the cooler yeah. colors are more like collective. Yeah. Yeah. And so orange is a bit more um, science based and a bit more, how we can use science to help uh, more than just my, myself, but essentially to use myself to help myself, but to help others with the science. And then it goes to uh, green after that, which again swings back to the, the cooler color, but a little warmer than just the blue, it's green. And that is more eco, eco you know, thinking about the earth, thinking about how uh, more, you know, ethical environment, environmentalism essentially is the movement mm-hmm. that's very green thing so we've got a very blue mass culture with some orange some green there's some green green elements but there's also a lot of blue masquerading as green right now if mm. i can say that because there's this push for comp- companies to look as though they're environmental without really any making any changes and just to have this stamp of environmentalism and then after the green we go to yellow which is again more individual focus but uh still more um very science and it's starting to look for the win-win-win like how can mm. i win and you win and we win together um and then it, after then it goes to turquoise and i mean the yellows i, I think i deem someone like wim hof kind of a yellow because it can be more um more more love focused but more um because he's kind of coming up with something from his own internal battles in life he's discovered this thing this cold therapy and breath work that's helping others that's kind of his is winning for everyone mm-hmm. Um, so I, someone like him or Gandhi, I, I deem as someone maybe a yellow. This is just from my observations, from what I've learned and what, from the outside. And then it goes turquoise and then it goes to coral, which is all chaos no. theory. I don't know if you looked into coral. I've at all. barely touched on coral because it's, it's just <clears> been so unexplored as far as I can, you know, understand so far yeah. that it's like there, I want to learn more about it. I just don't know how much literature there is even on it. So, and I know it's hard to study someone that might even be in coral because already, if you're getting into the yellows, you're you're talking about a pretty small percentage of the population. Just 
currently yeah so to find to find people and i think i don't know if you're familiar but i as far as i remember like the way they gathered some of this research is they did sort of like sentence completion exercises where they would you know prompt some you know hundreds or tens of thousands of people i don't know exactly the numbers but you know uh a significant group so at across different kinds of like um, countries and cultures and all that but they would prompt them with you know a half a sentence or a few words and then they would analyze the way that they would complete the sentence and then interpret basically their and you know maybe there i think there was other quiz questions who knows but basically they can interpret a profile of like how they're they could accurately predict political beliefs religious beliefs and um just values across these different strata of the the dynamics the spiral dynamic colors or stages yeah that's that's fascinating man yes so the thing is i think one theory i'd is well i'd say the best source of information i saw on this this was called by a channel called actualized mm-hmm. which you might have seen leo is a guru yeah no that's the same dude i discovered it from yeah and he's got like an hour or two hour talks on each one and i've just found i just was like doing my you know home biomechanics whatever train and just put it on and just listen to it and it was just really like quite fascinating to me mm-hmm. um the, but the coral he didn't have much on the coral but there was one interview with a guy who claimed to be the most knowledgeable on the coral that was i can't unfortunately i can't remember the name of it but it was like an hour long and it was so interesting okay and it was it potentially what might be happening in the world right now where they create chaos um but for it to to find order out of that chaos or something to that degree where they create conspiracies but false conspiracies to then lead you on a trap so that you're fighting that while all the while it's kind of war tactics and it could be used as war tactics but i don't know but it was just really coral was kind of like recognizing that we need chaos to 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 grow and that was like Mm. beyond the turquoise but yeah i i couldn't share too much on it because essentially i kind of grew out of it as my main um for for a period it was it is interesting to observe because it is recognizable in culture but at the same Mm. time for my own spiritual development it didn't actually serve me to grow and i came to learn that from any position you can actually you can have yourself in a false belief of like oh i'm yellow or i'm you know green or turquoise or Mm. whatever and therefore i know more than other people and you can this yeah there's you can fall into spiritual traps traps. yeah very number number of traps in that model um you have to be careful yeah, of, especially because it's it's so convincing in many ways and therefore you know it can it can be easily weaponized i guess in your own mind against you yeah it's it's more it's great observational mm-hmm. and fascinating to to look into but as a map for actually it doesn't teach you any principles for your own growth mm-hmm. and that's where I, the to touch on that briefly that's another thing that i've the, the greatest find that i've had of the last few years Mm-hmm. that i talk about a lot of my podcasts is divine truth on youtube and their teachings are and we don't need to necessarily talk into it much but mm-hmm. the best teachings i've come across for my own spiritual and soul development mm-hmm. well if you are interested i mean i'm happy to hear a little bit more about it i, I know very little but i did kind of um go through some of their just web- website and you know i followed uh, your podcast and i just like hovered on it and just looked yeah. at it real quick but haven't had the time to dive in so essentially what they're teaching is what i've touched on and shared already but is that Mm. most of our life that plays out as an adult is all comes from our childhood traumas now 
we all have our own issues habits addictions and these can be physical or even emotional addictions um but as an example for myself uh giving up food and certain snack bars is is and overeating is something i think i got from my mother would always is very controlling and so when it came to food this is what happens to a lot of people that get have getting to eating disorders and stuff mm. their parents are so controlling around food that when they grow up and can control their own food then they end up overeating and things like that mm. and so that's why i ended up doing um, like my 35 day water fast which i don't know if you, you I, yeah, I, that was that was madness i mean i'm sorry it was like it was no, incredible it was... i think it, but also i just i had no idea that that was one of the first times I'd ever been exposed to that being a thing as well. It was just like people <laughs> go months or a month even yeah, without yeah. food. That was uh, mind blowing. So yeah, please. That was one of the fa yeah. most fascinating parts of your journey. And I don't know that I have the conviction and or the body fat to even pull something like that off, but I was fascinated well, with that whole. I was yeah. desperate, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but essentially that was my attempt to willpower my mm. way out of an, an issue mm. an emotional and mental issue i think emotional issue i was right if i don't eat and then i come back to food i will have a healthy relationship because i've given it up for so long mm. that it didn't work like mm -hmm. you know and we people have that with you know it's not an issue i've i've haven't have now that's I, that was amazing amazing to notice that that dropped but something like porn which is so accessible mm -hmm. um and people may be able to relate to that one as something where they go I know it's not good for me or, you know, for the people involved in making it or whatever, in many instances, I'm going to stop now. And every intention after they close that tab and pull their shorts <laughs> or whatever, they'll never do it again. And although, and or they'll stop for a week or they get a girlfriend and they stop for a month and then slowly those old habits come back in and that every intention in the world doesn't change the habit that you know is bad. There's, this is fundamentally the thing is we all have our own issues and the habits that we want to change about ourselves and all the intention doesn't do this divine truth are the only people that i believe that teach the actual method to resolve this mm. and that is through recognizing the root cause of that injury that every addiction we have is a cover-up for an emotional injury mm. an emotion that we do not want to feel and that when we start to feel it we go to that habit to stop us feeling it and if you really try to if you do stop that habit, you notice that urge, that desire to do the thing because it, you're scared of that emotion coming up. Now, the, the only way to do this is to remove the addiction and then to face yourself. And this is the hardest part because we've built up so much facade mm -hmm. and protection and resistance and distraction habits around feeling our own true hurt, ch hurt child emotions. Mm -hmm. So these are issues that were put there in our childhood from conception to you know seven or 10 years old. And that's the path that I've been studying and practicing for the last two years is, is to start to tune in to, to my hurt child, to try to remove the, the walls of facade that I build up, this arrogant character around my, my hurt child that I just didn't want to feel and start to feel these emotions. And when I start to feel these emotions, it, it's painful, it sucks. You feel like it's never gonna end. Mm. And then on the other side of it, life feels a little bit lighter my body feels a little bit healthier my mind's a little bit clearer that pull that addiction's a little bit less um 
And so they, these are the only people, as far as I can tell, that are teaching it this way, because with spirituality, the danger is, and I've, I've gone down many rabbit holes and, and mined a lot of, of information, you can, some of the teachings can teach you to put up more barriers between you and, and the war. They can mm -hmm. teach you to, you know, namaste, love and light. I will just not, uh, you know, I will just meditate my way and I will use my willpower to get out of this thing without actually the true path of, of turning into the pain that's there and facing it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like, I will just act like it's not there. Or I, will, I will science it or try to forget it. It ever existed. And for me, I've always had this childish mindset. And I think a lot of parkour people may be able to relate to like this inner child. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of spirituality teaches to suppress that child and to be like this mountain monk, you know, shaves the head. And, and it's like, I believe we're designed to be individuals and to have personality. And that is the opposite path. That's a way of going, I'm going to remove myself from my injuries, but I'm also going to remove myself from personality and character that I was designed to have. Mm -hmm. And so this path is turning into that hurt child feeling and expressing the hurt child emotions and below that is the real true self which is full of character and personality that we're all designed to be and I'm, I'm not Christian but there's some verses in the Bible that I really connect with and one of them is we must be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven you can only enter the kingdom of heaven if you are a child and that you know don't need to look at that too biblical but essentially we are children and all these adults is a, a trick <laughs> to grow up in society right now. It's a trap. Don't do it. Like <laughs> there's no, and that's why someone like Weck, he's like a big, he's 50 year old, big kid. And he's got mm -hmm. that balance of and whim, the same thing I would say probably. Yeah, we, exactly. Whims. That's why I was thought whim was quite a good example. Um, but anyway, these, this is the, the greatest teachings. It's, and it's an all an education in love, mm -hmm. in, in self love in true love, not in uh, this, false fictitious love where love is oh here's a reward you know treat yourself love <laughs> like that's you know um and so there's there's a series they've done of lectures called an education in love because love is the only thing that's ever brought us happiness and joy whether however you've accessed that you know through through whatever it is real love and love is the lack of love is anything that's brought suffering for, for most of us somewhere where love's been lost or ignored or, or you know whatever abandoned um and so we but yet we've never had no one's ever taught us about love we've had some kind of lessons from our parents maybe but he, not many of us you know mm. and do how much do they know about love so essentially they've created this series of lectures which they delivered live but it's all captured and, and shared on youtube which I'm treating like school, like adult school, but to mm -hmm. to help heal myself from my older, you know, my childhood traumas, which, you know, trauma doesn't need to be something. This is what we need to accept, I think, is that it's not, it doesn't have to be a crazy, for some people, God bless them, have had crazy traumatic childhoods with all sorts of, you know, yeah. maybe abuse and all sorts of things. But whoever you are, you don't have to have had abuse for to be, had an unloving childhood, you know, I think I was, was, you know, hit by my dad maybe once. And it's, you know, I think I, I'm 33. Now, I think the next generation that, that, that people don't hit their kids, but that was kind of a bit more common. Yeah. And maybe there were other kids that got it much worse than me. But you can hit another adult. If I hit another adult now, I was an adult, I could go to prison. Mm -hmm. 
but you can hit a child and it's <laughs> i do this because i love you and you know, that's what the parent would tell the child i'm doing this because i love you and they beat a child the parent could beat a child and it was okay but if you hit an adult it's not and yet it's such a we don't recognize the innocence and purity of children because of our own you know vet dark shades that we wear from our own things so anyway no matter how perfect many of our childhoods may have been even those there's probably traumas and actions that were carrying out these played out things into our adult life and so this education in love is helping me to study and recognize myself and then grow to become the real adult that i could have been mm. had i not been held back by all these traumas and, and issues that just carry continue to play out in life yeah no i fundamentally yeah just have to second that i think that there's actually no one that isn't traumatized you know in in some way shape or form just because like you're saying even just just because we're human to a degree right now that it's just like you know our parents have have not been able to provide and they nor could they no one would have the tools really um, you'd have to have a really ridiculous not, not through their fault of their yeah. own yeah it's, it's so, not to judge that but it's just to recognize <laughs> that no one really knows about love and therefore we've ended up how we've ended up yeah and so that's like part of our generation is to to do some of this new work you know because they couldn't have taken it to the level of maybe spirituality um being more uh well you know it kind of and i don't know if it cycles back and forth a little bit or if it spirals up a little bit like that model where you know there is like whispers of something and then it kind of comes into its full expression and you know throughout time and history you know and that's why people talk about ancestral healing and trauma as well because sometimes these patterns are you know generations old and and you know i definitely could see that in my family you know with the way my dad his upbringing and you know and how it related to mine and how now it's gonna you know if i have children or when i have children it will be a different expression because we all have just taken a little bit of the load and healed it you know to a degree and you can do some some amazing things just and i think that's one of the reasons why we share this sort of and i think you know don't only put words in your mouth but i think what's so exciting about doing some of this work is ultimately just seeing what's possible for those future humans and for these future children that do not have to carry it's not that you know you're going to be able to give them a perfect life but you're going to give them um just a much larger head start you know i guess from where you were and that's kind of like yeah. just fascinating to think about okay well this is what we can do now what will we be able to do when there's just that much less baggage we're carrying and that much um more support for people to to you know to individualize or whatever um in the way that hopefully yeah if we, if we can get there but that <laughs> it seems like that's that's the work that that breaks the bonds of limitation mm. of of our lives and yeah if, if our children can get there and avoid as much indoctrination as possible to a degree and, and keep that spirit of, of belief and faith that we even talked about at the start the fact that you know we you have these issues but you just believe that you can solve them that's that's that spirit that you that you need yeah um, but there's something and that this might bring it full circle sure um for us and there's there's something that parkour taught me as a human that i've, I've that has just helped me throughout all life since getting into it and it's just given me a certain level of courage that that you develop with the physical practice that then has carried over to spirituality and and into into life and there's a certain there's a certain bravery to a degree that i think all parkour athletes 
nurture that they can apply to other areas of their life and to, to grow and be stronger humans. And that's why parkour is such a beautiful practice and can, the more we could coach it healthily with some, maybe discipline is not even the right word anymore because <laughs> that's kind of, an unloving, it feels a bit unloving, but some sort, you know, to coach it lovingly to, to children in the right way, an uncompetitive kind of way, it can give them that, that ability to access that, that the physical practice can transcend the, the physicality. Yeah, it certainly was my on-ramp to, in many ways, this path. Um, and it sounds like yours as well. And uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up pretty nicely. Um, mm. If there's anything else you want to share or, you know, let me know. But I think we had a great, I had a really great time talking with you. And, and I think we can probably um, save, save, a, save our evening and my afternoon now for whatever else we got to do and maybe catch up against it yeah no i think that, that i really appreciate you um setting the tone and creating the space for this conversation and the direction that i was able to talk and i've done a, a few in like podcasts recently but to do it with someone from parkour has actually been really yeah quite fulfilling actually and that just to, uh, i'm grateful to all the the people that listened or the free runners or non-free runners either way because i think we're able to touch on some cool subjects that i think um in the next few years we may be able to all contribute towards and, and help develop further because i think they could help all of us and all of humanity if we if we work in these areas so yeah thanks for holding space my pleasure man thank you for being you for being the the two-foot jumper like the one that dives in head first and pioneers yeah. so many trails for for the rest of us so much love to you brother and um yeah we'll talk soon i'm sure thanks brendan yeah when when the time's right give it a year or two and see what develops and we'll, we'll connect again. Appreciate Absolutely. you, man. All right, brother. Big love. Take care. Oh yes, indeed. Thank you guys for joining us. Big thanks to Tim. Of course, find everything you need to find in the description links to all of the relevant topics that I could find. And also, of course, if you want to support the podcast and this channel and me and what I'm doing, Go to hydrop.com. Those links will also be in the description here, of course. And share your feedback. Let me know. Shout out people and you know what to do if you want to help out and spread it. Um, love you guys. Take care. Happy holidays. We'll see you in the new year.